Hello, hello. Welcome to the 411 Ground and Pound MMA podcast. We are your weekly look into the wide, wacky, wonderful world of mixed martial arts. My name is Robert Winfrey, and uh, thank you. Thank you very, very much for tuning in. Uh, on the agenda that, you know what, January's finally behind us. Yay! Um, now February, which kind of sucks more than January in some respects, but, well, here we are. Sorry. This is just a gnarly kind of time of year for me in general, and I just appreciate your continued patience as we all kind of muddle through it together. So thank you. Appreciate you guys. On the agenda this evening, last night, UFC on ESPN Plus 93, they were at the Apex, and they will be again this coming Saturday for UFC on ESPN Plus 94. So we'll have a review and a preview, and... Some news of the week. Not a lot of news. There was a little bit of a kerfluffle involving Dustin Poirier and Benoit Saint-Denis. And so we can maybe talk a little bit about that. Um, But relatively quiet, all things considered. So we'll see how that goes while we're recording. And maybe something crazy breaks. It's happened before. So, yeah, that's what we got going on this particular episode. So... Anything you can do to support the podcast, like, comment, subscribe, star rating, written review, whatever is applicable to your podcast platform of choice. I uh, thank you very much for it. Uh, yeah, I think that's it for the intro. So let's jump into UFC on ESPN Plus 93. So for the record, in my predictions, uh, your boy went 7-5 and five with one no contest. Um... Still better than a coin flip. And there was one fight that went to a no contest. That I, I was okay with my pick there. I don't think there's too many of those I was hard on myself for missing. Um, maybe I undersold Charles Johnson a little bit for the Azat Moxham fight. Um, other than that... Any other one that um, there's no official provision for this, but I for the record, I think I would have changed my pick if I'd known uh, Luana Carolina was going to miss weight as badly as she did. That would change the calculus a touch, but eh, what can you do? Um, I think that's the only one. Like the others, yeah. Sometimes guys overperform. Sometimes you don't have enough information. Sometimes you just get it wrong. Like I'm, I'm not gonna. There was nothing here that I kind of beat myself up over. Like, I really should have got that one right. No, no, I, I know where I went wrong. And, again, these some of these fight night cards, man, they're full of guys who are just like 1-1, one 2-1 and one, two and one in the UFC debuting, something like that, and there's just not a tremendous amount of film on them. So, I just, again, I'm not going to beat myself up too badly over most of those, but... Uh, at the moment, we stand year-to-date at 22-13 and 13 with one no contest. Um, again, uh, my only goal here is to be better than a coin flip. That's really my only goal. So <laughs> We are accomplishing that at the moment. All right. As for the fights themselves, in your main event, Nasruddin Imavov defeats Roman Delidze via majority decision, 49-44, 48-46, and 47-47. 
to the judge. I forget who it was who scored this 47-47. You're, I don't know what you're watching, man. I do not know. I don't know how you can give. Um, I didn't give Roman Dolidze a single round. I agreed with, um, was it Cleary who had 49-44? Because that's what I had. Only him being the only one to give Imovava 10-8 first round is a little wonky. Like he nearly had that guy out of there. That should have been a 10-8. Giving him any of the other rounds is largely a byproduct of. Oh, look at all that control time. Control time only matters if it leads to damage, and it's only a deciding factor in who wins a round if you cannot uh, find out who won the round via the the superior criteria. Octagon control time, purely control, is subordinate to the superordinate, which is damage. Now, control can be... So if control is not used as a mechanism for inflicting damage, it doesn't matter if if you take more damage. If you have more control than I do, but I'm the only one landing anything, I win. The round, at least, in theory. So, something weird there. There was one round I thought maybe you could have put forward a legitimate case for him. I want to say it was four. Might have been two. There's a lot of control. Again, it was just a lot of control and not a lot else. There was one round, like, there was one round where he had a legitimate takedown. He didn't get a lot of control time on the map. Most of the control here that you'll see, if you look up the stats, is... Clinching, because there was a lot of clinching. This was not a very good fight. Um, Imovov has a good first round. He said he n- keeps cracking. Delidze with a right hand hurts him, falls up with a knee to the body, drops him with a left hook, um, starts dropping hammer fists, gets the back, nearly gets an arm bar, but the round ends. After that, it's a lot of slow... Imovov just kind of sniping from the outside. Delidze forcing clinches. Delidze not really getting takedowns. Um, yeah, just kind of rinse and repeat. It wasn't very interesting. It wasn't very helpful to both guy, to either guy. Um, some of the other wonkiness on the scoring there, if you might be saying, wait a minute, if you didn't give him a single round, how do you only get 49 on his end of the equation for you? In the... Was it three or four? I need to look this up now. Um, Because there was one of those two. Four. Okay, so the the other, the round you could have made a case for Delidze in. Could you have made a case? I mean, Ron McCarthy, yeah, this is the guy who gave Delidze two rounds. He thought Delidze won the fourth, and because there was a point deduction, that meant Imovov got a... That meant um, Delidze would have got a 10-8. He's the only one who thought he won the fourth, by the way. Um, yet nobody, for whatever value the media scores have, nobody had it a draw. Not a single soul. Um, there were a few 48-45s. So, again, the second round, I'll entertain the discussion that maybe could have gone to... Um, that one maybe could have gone to Delidze. It was a very, very low activity round. So, second round... I'll concede that one 
if you're going to give him one, it would have been that one. I don't agree with him getting the fourth. And I clearly don't agree with most, with two of the three judges not giving a 10-8 to Imovov in the first. That seems weird to me. It should have been. Um, again, this was not a tremendous night of fight. Uh, not a tremendous main event. There were some good fights on the card overall. We'll, we'll get to the ones that were worthwhile. Yeah, this was just Delidze not being able to work much out of the clinch. Not being able to mount much offense from there. And he'd get bits and pieces, but he couldn't really string things together. Credit to his coaches who were calling the right things. Um, but he just couldn't execute. Uh, this is Imovov's, I think it's his first fight with a new camp. He left um, Fernand Lopez and he's with somebody else now. Which, you know, I, I I say that as a note. I'm not, I haven't seen enough of the new guy, and I have my criticisms of Lopez, but there is no such thing as a perfect MMA coach. It's all about how they mesh with the individual fighters and the results they can then bring to bear over time. And, you know, Lopez a little bit hit and miss, but, you know, you, you go where you need to go. Um, so maybe a little bit there, like Imovov just, he seemed a little bit tired pretty early and his coach was in his face like, dude, how is this guy draining your cardio? You work too hard, which, you know, fair enough. Um, but he, sometimes that adrenaline dump early, it takes a while to get your feet back under you and then you're still fighting the whole time. So I don't know. I'm not, again, not quite sure how to hash that one out. Um, but the fourth round, there was a point deduction for Imovov. He was behind Delidze. He had got got to his back kind of in a ride position. Um, Delidze based, stood up, and kept one hand on the ground. And Imovov... Got off to a little bit of an angle, still behind him, and then kicked him in the head. He's doubled over, one hand sort of on the ground. It looked, it was real borderline. Um, It was really borderline. But it's also borderline depending on which interpretation of the rules we're using. And, oi, that's been a headache. So he, again, he kicked him in the head. And the ref ruled not legal, which, given the rule set that we're using, it was close enough to, for me to allow the ref's interpretation on that one to kind of stand, I guess. Um, I don't like the rule, but I can't get too mad at Herb Dean over this one. Had a weird, Herb Dean had a weird performance in the main event. Like, he should have been breaking these guys up much more aggressively much earlier out of the clinch. There was not a whole lot going on there. Um, and I, I'm not the biggest fan of referee interventions, but I'm, I'm not one of these guys who's like, no, you know, you're being held down. Deal with it. If the guy on top's not doing anything, this is a sport. It's a spectator sport. You know, there there should be referee intervention on occasion. Uh, if all you want to do is determine, you know, who the better fighter is, 
then we're not using an optimal then we're not using the appropriate rule set for it it would be different the entire structure would be different and no there would be no referee intervention to alter positions or anything like that that's not what we're doing we're determining who is the best within the sporting confines that are set before us and under those considerations the audience has to be an important part of this discussion it just does and I referred to what these guys were doing at one point as hugging, and I am not a guy who slings that accusation at clinch fighting almost ever. You'll very rarely hear me say that they're just hugging. I will free. It's jockeying for position. It's again, it's clinch fighting. There's a lot that goes into it. But when you're just stalling, then yeah, that's kind of what that's kind of the best descriptor. And they were stalling. Um, but yeah, that, that head kick, I'm kind of, I was impressed to let say, you know, when I say, I don't mean to imply he was, you know, looking for a way out. I mean, he got fouled according to the interpretation by the ref there. He got fouled and pretty badly. Like that was a, he got kicked in the head. Like. <laughs> That's never pleasant. And he, if he had not been able to continue, I don't know too many people that would have held it against him. Like, this wasn't some glancing, like, eh, I don't know if it connected or not. No, that was like foot to face. <laughs> he got kicked. But he gutted through it, so I give him credit for that. Um, you know, I had this as kind of its own subsection lower down. Let me Let me talk about it now. Um, for the sake of streamlining this and not repeating myself too much later. Um, there is a new iteration of the, a new rule change that has been, um, it's been approved by the subcommittee of the ABC, that is the Association of Boxing Commissions. They get together on occasion, they rehash the rules, they look at that kind of stuff. So first of all, California is already trying, the California State Athletic Commission is trying to find a new rules, a new, a new definition of a grounded fighter. Um, so, and, and they're doing their own thing. The ABC subcommittee on MMA um, has officially recommended and put, and they're going, the way this works, the sub, follow Eric McGracken on Twitter. He explains this better than I do, but the subcommittee has decided Here's the rules we're going to... Here's the potential change. They present it to the ABC. The ABC almost always goes along with this stuff. So there, the ABC goes, okay, we're kind of... We're good. So when there's a big um, convention or there's some kind of big gathering of representatives from all the different athletic commissions, it'll be in Kentucky this year, I believe, the subcommittee for MMA will present their changes to the rule set They'll be voted on. If it passes via, I believe, a simple majority, they'll be adopted by the ABC, and then each individual commission, um, through whatever mechanisms they have for changing the rules, adopts them. In theory, that's how it works. Um, so the they are proposing two rule changes. One is to remove the 12 to 6 elbow from the list of fouls, and thank you, that's a dumb rule. It's always been a dumb rule. 
get make those legal thank you good rule good good change the other is a change to the wording of a downed fighter and this is where the this is where the big thing has been right this is what got has gotten a lot of fighters in trouble this is what trying to figure out what the rule set is because we've experimented with some of these stupid nuances the original definition and i believe the one currently still in effect is anything other than the soles of your feet on the ground means you're downed um there might be this might be slightly different um because again we've experimented with a few different ones by now for a while there was one for a bit where it was you need both hands or fists touching the ground then you're downed um one was you can have only one but it has to be weight bearing which is weird because how do you determine whether or not it's weight bearing in real time necessarily that just makes things more difficult for fighters and referees so we've tried a bunch of these things the currently proposed one that's going to be voted on is anything other than your hands or feet on the ground means you're downed so if you have an elbow downed you're downed but if it's just your hand you'll be upright now again obviously if you have a knee down or you're seated you're down this is just for a couple of these positions where guys because they don't want to get kicked or kneed in the head will put one hand down because the rules say you can no longer kick or knee me in the head from here which is fair we, again that's the rules it's just I, I think this is a step in the right direction I really do this makes things very clear if you do not have something other than hands and feet on the mat you're up and you can be kicked or need in the head that's a fairly that's a fairly good choice for the specifics of this rule if you're going to be weird about this and not just use the global system which i've said before is superior just allow knees and kicks to the head of a downed opponent there's data on this at this point it doesn't actually come up that often if you're looking at a lot of these fights going oh no in this position with these guys it would have been heinous if everyone knows the rules those positions don't come up as often this is one of the things that you can't backstack a new rule set onto previous scenarios um in boxing like it used to be perfectly legal if you knocked somebody down for the box for one of the boxes to stand over the other one not go to a neutral corner i mean stand right there and as soon as they get up to just start wailing on them watch some old fights jack dempsey did this all the time he was not the only one he's just kind of the most famous and you may not like that rule and they changed it eventually and fair enough but you if you were to put that new rule in place in current box that old rule in place in current boxing there's a lot of people who might go oh but there were these scenarios where that would be very bad and they would have played out differently if everyone knows the rules you fight differently you game plan differently different positions attain different value it's it's a whole thing just so just, there's no point in backfilling that is kind of the point there the global rule set is superior i think just just let them knee and head knee and kick 
downed opponents. If you want to keep like soccer stomps, like stomps to the head out of it, or if you maybe want to make a rule where you can't kick someone when they're flat on their back, again, you were getting wonky there. If this still is kind of weird, at a bare minimum, my opinion is if you're both downed, if you both qualify for the downed condition, you should be able to kick and knee the head. This makes side control a very different position. This makes north-south a very different position. It changes the leg lock game a little bit because then you can use your legs to do other things. Like there's just, at a minimum, I think if both fighters are downed, we should be good. But that's just me. Um, all, as I said, I do think the proposed rule change is better. Would have made that Kekimovov landed here perfectly legal. And in theory, Delidze would have known, oh, I can get kicked in the head here no matter what I do unless I have a knee down. So either my knee's down or I get all the way up and some of the other positioning work. Like Again, it, it changes, but everyone's aware of the change. It's not like... Imovov knows that suddenly this is a perfectly legal thing, and Roman Delidze is like, I don't know what happened. He should, all fighters should be made aware of these things. So, um, after the fight, um, wasn't that, on the break for that foul, so Delidze trains out of Extreme Couture, and Chris Curtis was in his corner, calling out pretty good technical advice, actually. He was picking up on some stuff that would have worked for Delidze, but Delidze just wasn't doing it. Um, those two had a no contest last year when they banged heads and that was Curtis. I think who couldn't continue. And so there's still some heat there. Like Delidze and Curtis started yelling at each other over the, uh, Herb Dean pulled Delidze and had to pull, push like Imovov over and warned him frequently. I will disqualify you if you keep doing that. Don't listen to them. Don't worry about them. Stay over here. Um, they So they might try to run that back. Um, Imovov, I think he had somebody else he called out, didn't he? Um, he wanted a rematch with Sean Strickland, because those two fought at light heavyweight on short notice. It was the first of, it was actually the first fight of 2020, first main event of 2023. Um, Imovov was supposed to fight somebody else. That fell out. Strickland stepped in because he was stepping in on such short notice. They fought at 205 instead of 185. Strickland won. He seems to want that one back. I don't think he'll get it. This was not a... The Curtis fight is more likely than Strickland at this point. Um, this was not a very great fight. It just, Sorry, it wasn't. Um, Delidze, he's going to take a little bit of a hit. Um, it, just a forgettable fight. I'm not sure that this is going to go on my list of like potential worst of. It was just... Because I think that would be a little bit of a disservice to some of how this played out. But it just wasn't very good. It wasn't very interesting. But Imovov gets a win. Um, he kind of needed that. 2023, he had a loss and a no contest. So he's trying to get back on track. We'll see where he goes. Um, Co-main event, lightweight. Hanato Moicano defeats Drew Dober via unanimous decision. 29-28 across the boards. Doing this live, I gave Moicano all three. Um, I got the second round wrong. That should have gone to Dober. Um... I thought this was fight of the night. This was not your official fight of the night, but this was... I enjoyed this one. Um, we got a bit of a scrap standing up at first. Then Dober rocks Moicano. Moicano like, eh, all right, clinch up, take down, and I'm better on top. Um, that's kind of how the rest of that round plays out. 
second round goes a little bit like that same one. Then later in the round, Moicano's not able to do a whole lot on top. He doesn't. He doesn't really. He keeps trying to pass straight from uh, half guard into full mount, and Dover keeps blocking him. He lands some stuff, and he keeps threatening an arm triangle, but it's it's control, and he's he's working. I I don't think the I don't think the referee ever got involved here to stand them up, nor should he have. It was you can do enough to maintain top position. In that kind of scenario, the other guy has to start doing stuff. But Dober does. He eventually regains his feet. Um, Moicano comes after him looking for a clinch, and Dober hits a nice lateral drop. Uh, gets on top and spends the last little bit of that round kind of you know wailing on him. Should have been enough to steal it, in all honesty. Again, I, I think I got that one wrong in real time. Um, then third round, it's kind of starting. The third round is a lot more like the first, and uh, Moicano gets the win. His right eye's a little bit messed up. He got cut. Um, I don't know if it was when I don't know if it was a clash of heads. I think the referee indicated as such. Um, but he got he got a pretty decent cut there. Uh, he just you know, gutted through it. It was a pretty good fight. Pretty good fight. Um, I think the funniest part was after the fight, um, Moicano, right before they announced the decision, Moicano looks over and drew at Dober and goes, hey, how much did you weigh tonight? And Dober's like, uh, eh, 180. And Moicano's just, F you. <laughs> um, 180, a rehydration of 20, this is 155. So a, re- a rehydration of 20-some-odd pounds is not really out of... It's not really out of line um, for, again, for way into fight night. Uh, but Moicano got a win and then cut one of his, what are now kind of typical, wacky post-fight promos. I mean, he, he kind of put Dober over and then said, no, I need, I'm, I'm here, I need to make a lot of money. And my dad, who's like 65, his wife just gave birth to a kid, so I've got a new sibling. And I'm going to go home and I'm going to get my wife pregnant because we got to keep the birth rates high. And I love America. And when we're done with, and when I'm done with fighting, I want to join the police. And I <laughs> just, it's not quite incoherent, but it's a little rambly. And then he calls out a few of his haters. I think MMA guru in particular. <laughs> Dude, he live streamed like right after. The other thing at the end was like, and here's all my streaming and social media platforms, and follow me. We're going to be huge. Like, he goes to the back, he kind of gets stitched up, and then he's immediately live streaming, like, F that guy. Again, talking about, like, people in the punditry community. Moicano's <laughs> um, a card, man. That dude is a character. He's becoming one. Again, good little fight. I don't think Dober loses too much here. He, he, he acquitted himself pretty well. Came up a little short, but I think that's what most people expected. Um, again, solid fight. Uh, welterweight, I got this one wrong, and this was my this was like my big flyer. Um, a few of these others that I got wrong, like okay, I if there was one I was gonna beat myself up over, it would have been this one. Um, but you know, ultimately, I can live with it. Um, Randy Brown defeats Muslim Salikov via knockout punches, uh, 317 of the first. Decent little three-minute fight here. 
Um, Salikov comes out. He's landing really good leg kicks. Threatens the spin a few times. But Brown is always circling um, to his own left. So this would be towards Salikov's right. Normally, you don't want to circle into the power side. But when you're facing someone who spins as much as Salikov does, you kind of do, especially if you've got the dimensions that Randy Brown does. He was much longer, much taller. Like The odds of him getting clipped with an overhand right while circling that direction are actually lower because of the range he could keep than getting hit with a wheel kick circling the circling towards the weak side, the traditional weak side. Um, he kind of started feeling things out after a m- couple of minutes, started getting his jab going. The double jab right hand that he uses to end this thing is a nice bit of striking. He, he Normally the double jab is just to close distance. There's some footwork that goes with it. Um, feel free to look up boxers talking about it. Um, there's there's a lot of them. I think Tim Witherspoon, who's got a really good kind of boxing-centric YouTube channel, former you know uh, boxing world champion, has some talking about it, and um, it, plenty of boxing on YouTube that'll go over more of the specifics about how you'd use it to close distance because there's mechanics. But normally that's what you do: you double jab to kind of get a reaction, get the foot moving, and then you can, as their guard comes up you can step deeper behind while blinding them with the jab. Um, Brown doesn't only do that. He's not only going forward. He's actually circling still to his left. So he's circling to a dominant angle to be more square to Salkov. Salkov's more square. Brown's still in his stance relative to him, where you want to be in the you know sort of geography and geometry of fighting. Double jab and then drops a right hand just immediately... Drops him with it. Um, nice stuff from Randy Brown. Um, Brown's had a lot of physical tools for quite some time. But this was his first finish since 2019 when he beat Brian Barberina. His first striking-related finish, excuse me. He did choke out Alex Oliveira in April of 21. But he's... He's been a good hand. This is a, he, he came into the UFC pretty early, right? He came in at 6-0. and And he had some growing pains, which is not uncommon. He finally does seem to be kind of figuring things out, which makes sense. He's on his... This was his 23rd professional fight. Most... The vast majority of these have been in the UFC. Again, takes six fights off of his record. So, what, 17 of his 23 fights have been in the UFC? It's a rough place to, it's a rough place to learn and level up. Um, he's managed to do it. Again, had some setbacks, some pretty nasty ones, too. Um, Nico Price knocking him out was pretty brutal. Um, Vicente Luque knocked him out. So, but seems to be, seems to maybe be kind of figuring stuff out. So, good for him. Uh, good for him. Salikov, he's almost 40. And I respect to the man for still being out there trying to do it. Um, this would have, I think this was kind of his last chance at starting a legitimate run. He can still stick around. He can probably still win fights, but I don't think there's any kind of like legitimate move up the ranks in his future anymore. 
Uh, women's flyweight, Natalia Silva defeated Viviani Araujo. Unanimous decision, 29-28 across the boards. I actually didn't give Araujo the first round because all she did was control. That was my thought. Um, there was a flurry from here near the end of the first that probably should have secured it for her. Second and third, mostly Silva. She's striking well at distance, moving pretty well, not getting as bogged down in the clinch. Um, Silva continues to be a pretty bright uh, talent. She's only 27. Flyweight could still use some help. She's on a long winning streak. Her last loss was to Marina Rodriguez in 2017. That was outside the UFC. Um... I don't think she called anyone out specifically after this fight, but she came into this ranked, and I believe Araujo was ranked higher. Let me double check that real fast. Yeah, Araujo was seven, uh, Silva was nine, so she's probably going to come up at least to seven. Not a lot of easy fights above her after that, because... Currently, you know, you got Grosso as champion, um, Shevchenko, they're going to fight again. After which, I don't know, man, again, if I'm Valentina, I'm giving some serious thought to moving back up to bantamweight, given the state of that division. Aaron Blanchfield, Manon Fior, Caitlin Chikagian, Jessica Androgen, and Macy Barber is six. Um, those are all tough fights, man. And a few of them are still going to fight again. Blanchfield and Fiore have a, what is logically a number one contenders fight coming up. I think Barber has one coming up. Andrade is going to fight. Um, uh, who would she sign to fight? She's going to be on UFC 300. Uh, was it Marina Rodriguez? Was it Rodriguez? I don't think it was. Who did she sign to fight? Yeah, it was Marina Rodriguez at 300. Weird. Wait, what weight class is that at? Because I'm talking about flyweight at the moment. Um, Rodriguez is a flyweight. Um, Rodriguez is really unranked. Dude, if Jessica Andrade, currently number five, is fighting someone unranked. Yeah, Jazz Devisius is 15. Andrea Lee, Casey O'Neill, Karina Silvia, Ernie Lipsky, Trace Cortez. Okay, you could argue Rodriguez should be ranked. No, hang on. Rodriguez is at straw weight. So is Rodriguez coming up or is. Andrade going back down. Hang on, do we have the... We should have the weight class. But straw weight, so Andrade will be, at least for one fight, taking the trip back to 115. Okay. Um, Andrade is ranked fifth at uh, flyweight and fourth at straw weight. Alright. I mean, look, I'm not going to tell either the rankers or Andrade what to do with themselves, so. Point being, though, if you're Natalia Silva, there's not anything approximating an easy fight for anyone ranked, if you're fighting up. There's nothing, again, nothing even close to an easy fight going up for you anymore. 
Um, yeah. Yeah, fine enough, fight. You are no contest. Um, Aliskab Kizriev poked Mahmoud Muradov in the eye 11 seconds into the first round. And the left eye of Muradov just spasmed immediately. Um, usually that's the case with a corneal abrasion. I think um, Laura Sanko mentioned that on Twitter. And then I think the ringside doc who came in and looked at it said, you know, I, again, he didn't give an in-depth diagnosis. That's a slightly more specific injury. But he looked at it and said, yeah, I think that's what's going on here. And that, when that muscle spasms, it can take a while to get that to relax. Uh, your body is very, very protective of your eyes for very obvious reasons. Um, a really unfortunate. Uh, didn't look to be malicious from Kizriev. Uh, it just sucks. Like I was looking forward to that fight, so that one fall, that one going the way it did, um, unpleasant. Uh, welterweight Charles Radke, he TKO'd Gilbert Urbina, 4:47 of the first round. Um, I think this, and it, again, I mentioned I was taking kind of a flyer on Salikov and Brown. If there was one more that I thought maybe. Maybe I should have given more weight to going the other direction. I'm not saying I would have picked differently, but maybe I should have given more weight to Radke's chances. Um, Again, it would have been this one. Urbina tried to use front kicks, tried to stay long, tried to circle. Radke just patiently walked him down, cut him off, started clubbing him with left hooks. Um, Yeah, Solid, solid enough win for Radke, who seems to be going full heel at the moment. Um, after the fight, he you know he wasn't too, he wasn't dismissive of Urbina, but you know, a little bit the arrogant heel. Um, said that he's going to be champion next year. Said that because he trains with Bilal Muhammad, so he's saying, you know Bilal Muhammad's going to win that belt this year, and then next year I'm going to get it. And you know again just nothing nothing sensational. The the funny part came after the fight when he's at the post fight press conference and says you know I should be getting paid for this. And the media just then didn't ask him any questions. <laughs> you know what? Fair for the media. Dude, media in general, I I have a back and forth relationship with media because there's a lot of bad actors there. That's not a, and for the record, that's not a partisan statement. I'm not saying it's, you could argue that there's institutional bias one way in most institutions and then the other way in several of the others. Not here to make that point. All I'm here to say is there's a lot of media who are, again, some of them are bad actors. They're overly biased. They're self-aggrandizing. They're, I can throw a lot of terms at them. Um, MMA media take, and the sort of general pushback on sort of the self-importance a lot of media and journalists have is probably an overdue correction. Again, there's a lot of very pompous, self-important people doing that job. Um, there's a lot of very good one. There are very good people doing very good work, too, and that absolutely needs to be acknowledged. So I'm going to. MMA media gets put upon more than a lot. Dana White constantly trashes them. The fighters constantly trash them. There's a real lack of understanding about the role of media. 
the UFC likes to treat various media outlets as nothing but PR. This is a PR machine. You guys are the media. You're supposed to hype up the fights. No, we're not. I say this because I am technically part of the media space. Technically. That's not the job. Your job is to hype up the fights. You're the promoter. Quit trying to offload your work to other people that you don't have to pay. But, you know, that's kind of the model of promoters. And fighters are very thin-skinned. And again, there's a degree to which I can even understand some of their being thin-skinned. It's... I'm slightly more forgiving of that than a lot of other people. But they dismiss the media because anything anything they even construe as criticism and they get very touchy about it and they get very, for want of a better expression, butthurt. And I just, I have to wonder, like, guys, do you listen to how other media talk to other athletes or other sports media? Be a quarterback in the NFL. You will get raked over the coals on a weekly basis. Weekly. Uh, MMA media is as deferential as they can be without being basically propagandists for the promoter. So the media deciding to stand up for themselves a little bit when they're more unfairly put upon. You know what? Good on you guys. You... I'm more than willing to throw slings and arrows when I think they deserve to be thrown. I'm more than willing to stand up for them when they deserve to, when they deserve that as well. And you know what? Good on you guys. So, decent win for Radke, who seen again guys like got like two fights in the UFC and had a pretty rough draw for his, for his debut. <laughs> um. Wait, didn't he win his debut? Am I confusing him with someone else? Hang on, I'm pretty sure I am. I want to say he won his debut, but was not, um, was like not supposed to. Um, yeah, yeah, he beat. Um, oh no, he was kind of kind of supposed to. I'm confusing him with. Oh, I know who I'm confusing him with. Okay, we'll, we'll get to that later. Um, so he seems to be you know, building something here. So you know what? Good for him. Urbina, again, guy comes off the Ultimate Fighter, struggles a bit. I don't know where he's gonna land. Um, that was your main card. Prelims: Molly McCann, armbars, Diana Belbicha, 4:59 of the first, nasty armbar. Um, no broken bone apparently, but probably a torn ligament or ruptured ligament of some variety there that was the arm does not the elbow does not bend that way so they McCann down now at um straw weight probably should have been here earlier for being honest she's she's still a shorter straw weight um, but this seems to be much more in line with her frame um, they kind of wanted to give her a get well fight and they get, and she got well, not really anything more complicated to it than that. Um, Charles Johnson defeated us at Maxim via unanimous decision, 29, Um, I, I might've done Johnson a slight disservice. I, I, I gave him his credit last week. I think what I neglected to point out was this could easily be another fight that is young talented guy 
against a guy who's been in the UFC for a while and just gets exposed to the experience differential and is wanting a little bit at the moment. And that's kind of what happened here. Maxim had a great first round, clearly won it. Um, Hurt Johnson a couple of times, caught him off balance, looked good. Second and third, his wrestling isn't quite working. And Johnson just starts getting the striking going more. Um, Johnson needed the win. He was on a three-fight skid. A couple of those were closer decisions, but uh, he's got a lot of ability that um, I'm gonna again I'm gonna put my hand up here. I much as I acknowledged he was a good fighter, I don't think I gave him all the respect that I should have uh, in the preview last week. So mea culpa on that one. He's he's pretty good. I think Moxon will bounce back from this. His first loss, you know, 17 and one. Um, I hope he does. Again, both guys showed a fair amount of ability. Um, good good fight. This was your fight of the night officially. Um, and again, not where I would have thrown the money, but I'm not up in arms over it either. Uh, welterweight Temba Garimbo defeated Pete Rodriguez via Naka, uh, TKO 32 seconds into the first round. Um, Garimbo, right, let me put on my martial arts nerd hat for a little, for a minute or two here. So one of the frequent criticisms of especially more traditionally minded martial arts is the practice of like weird strikes. Um, you know, the ridge hand, the... My martial art, we call it the dragon head strike or leopard strikes or a bunch of stuff like that, right? And one of the criticisms is, well, we wouldn't we see that in the UFC if it really worked? Rewatch this strike from Garimbo that basically ends things. He doesn't really land with the knuckles. He lands more with... He's not making... He's not really doing the ridge hand thing with the hand, but if you look where he lands, his knuckles are kind of a little bit behind the neck. And what connects on the side of, uh, like the side of the neck and the jaw of Rodriguez is the inside of the forearm and the inside of the wrist there where you kind of, depending on who you talk to, land a ridge hand. I know there are some like super purists who aim for that thing with like the last, like, like the, uh, the the knuckle, like the first major knuckle, that's where you hit with the side. That's not how I've ever been taught, but I know there are people who do that. I've always been taught with the ridge hand that you're aiming with, uh, kind of where the thumb meets, and uh, the thumb meets the wrist there. That's where you want to put the force. And that's kind of the area that Garimbo landed with. So <laughs> um, the other thing you see is people talking occasionally about like clotheslining. Boss Rutan is more than happy to tell you clotheslines are great offensive weapons. Um, and when you swing punches like this, because this was more of an overhand, he did not really land with the knuckles, but he brought the inside of that wrist and the inside of that forearm all the way through the target, and there's plenty of mass there. That'll work. It's a nice backup weapon if you miss with the if you miss with the uh, fist, if you miss with the knuckles, you've got that whole bone before you get to the elbow, which is also a nice backup weapon. And again, it kind of depends on ranges. But good win for Garimbo. Um, pretty solid, pretty solid finish. 
featherweight, uh, Jung Young Lee defeated Blake Builder via unanimous decision, 30-27 across the boards. Really good overall performance from Lee. He hurt Builder pretty badly in the first. Um, there, is there a 10-8 argument in there? Maybe an argument, but I didn't go 10-8. You could make the argument. I wouldn't have, but you could do it. Um, good clinch fighting, nasty body shots. He hurt Builder with a couple of those. Fast, fast hands. Um, he's got a brother who was on the road to UFC finals, like later that same night, actually. Won those. Do we have that anywhere? It should be some. I should be able to find the results from that somewhere, right? Um, to do fight night. Let me see if I can just find those. Oh, do UFC results. Okay. Have a quick look there. Where would he be? I'm going to go over these real fast, actually. Um, Ray Saruta defeating uh, Um, That was brutal. Like, Saruta, if there's one guy from this last season you want to pay attention to, Ray Saruta, pay attention to that guy. Um, he's pretty darn good. Um, let's see, then, he's, uh, some of these, some of these guys only go by single names, or the UFC only promotes them that way. Um, Rong Zhu, or Zhu Rong, um, yeah, Rong Zhu, he used to fight in the UFC, got cut, made his way back. Um... I don't see his brother here, but they, um, Laura Sanko and John Gooden, who were two thirds of the commentary team. The other guy there was uh, Daniel Cormier. So they had, um, again, this was uh, Jiong Yong Lee, and his brother is Jiong Hyun Lee. And Daniel Cormier could not tell the different pronunciations and just, <laughs> uh, Cormier. I don't like your commentary. Anyway, really good performance out of Lee. Thumbs up. Um, Luana Carolina missed weight. She weighed 129. So, yeah, bad weight miss there. She beats Yulia Stoliarenko via TKO, 452 of the third. Um, punches from side control, basically. Um, Stoliarenko has an okay first round. Nearly gets an armbar to close out the round. Gas is a bit. She's all... She also struggled with, like, the range of Carolina. Stoliarenko's very used to being the longer woman, and she really wasn't here. Her game is also pretty grappling heavy, and her takedowns are not good. So Carolina just kind of outdid her in the clinch when she was able to get on top, would weather a couple of submission attempts, and then something happened to Stoliarenko's um, left ankle, I think. So third round... Stoliarenko pulls guard. She's tired, but she's trying stuff. She tries a triangle choke. It gets kind of close. She switches to an armbar, goes back to the triangle. She eventually loses it. But when she goes to stand, she just stands on the side of her ankle and her foot kind of... And then she does it again and again. It's... Yeah. 
there's probably some damage there. I don't know what it was, but that was... Commentary didn't remark on it at all, which was baffling to me. It was very, very clear. So something might be wrong there. Good enough win for Carolina. Um, fight kind of sucked. Lightweight uh, Markel Medeiros defeated Landon Quinones via unanimous decision, 29-28 across the boards. Very competitive fight. Um, moderately impressed with Quinones. I kind of thought he might have pulled that one out. He made his debut uh, against Nazrat Hakparast, and that's a rough draw for your debut. Um, again, I kind of thought, I think I scored this for Quinones officially. Um, perfectly acceptable fight, if not very memorable. And then kicking everything off, Jamal Poogs defeated Thomas Peterson via unanimous decision, 229-28 and a 30-27. Um, Peterson, he's got, Cormier was kind of calling him out on this, like he got Poogs down at the end of the first and was very adept at keeping him there, at riding, but his takedown game was just not where it needed to be for this one, man. Just not at all. Um, this fight sucked. Don't know what else to tell you. All right, that, and that was it. That was the card. So, again, I had an okay night of picks. Not great. Okay. I'll take... I'd rather be like 8-4 and four than 7-5, and five, but I'll take 7-5. and five. Uh... Your bonuses, I mentioned already, fight of the night went to Johnson and Oxum. Fair enough. Or Maxim, rather than Oxum. Azat Maxim. Performances went to Randy Brown and Molly McCann. I love a good nasty armbar. I might have gone Garimbo over McCann. Brown was kind of a shoo-in. Um, but I'm personally... I might have gone Temba Garimbo over Molly McCann, but that's just me. I don't know who was handing the awards out. Dana White was not present for this event. He was watching a boxing. He was in person for a, bo a boxing event because nobody cares about Apex fights. <laughs> oh, man. Radke, when he was kind of stumping for Bilal Muhammad, going, hey, I don't know if... Uh, I don't know if Leon Edwards is in the crowd, but you better watch your back. Like, Leon Edwards is going to be here to watch this mid-tier stuff? No, he's not. <laughs> oh, not unless he's being punished. Uh, uh, yeah, that was the event. You can find my full report in the MMAZona411mania.com. Give it a read if you're so inclined. I appreciate it. Alrighty. Um, Boy, we got a lot of fights. I mean, some of these aren't going to take too long to break down, but... Um, this coming Saturday, February 10th, UFC on ESPN plus 94, still at the apex, so nobody cares. How many fights are on this card? Jeez. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, we have 14. Oi. It's a lot. It's a lot of fights. It's a lot of fights. All right. Main event. Try and muster some enthusiasm. The main event's an interesting one in some respects. Um, Joe Pfeiffer, current UFC stuntman, and the UFC like him. He's not a... He gets kind of a bad rap because he does, again, carry water for the UFC. And...
it's always easy to kind of like, okay, you're one of the UFC's pet projects for a little bit, but he's 12 and two, three and zero in the UFC, and they're kind. They were kind of designated wins. Alan Amadovsky, I don't think, had won in the UFC. Um, Gerald Merchardt, who's a veteran and a good low-level UFC-style test, and then Abdul Razak Al-Hassan was almost a showcase fight. So now he fights Jack Hermanson. And Hermanson, is he still ranked? I think both these guys are technically ranked. Um, no. Pfeiffer is not. Hermanson is. Hermanson is ranked number 10. There's a non-trivial chance that's a little bit lower when this is all said and done because Imovov's um, going to move up. And again, they should maybe take Shemaev out of the top rankings, just a thought. Uh, so point being, he's now stepping up to a top 10 guy, certainly in that vicinity. That's a pretty big step up. Hermanson's no joke. Um, Hermanson's been with the UFC for a while. Um, he debuted for them in 2016. Um, he's just been on a rough, kind of a rough stretch lately, um, up and down. Um, J- the loss to Jared Cannonier in 2019, that really seemed to mess with him. He rebounded fine. He heel-hooked Kelvin Gaslam in the first round. But then he didn't have a whole lot for Marvin Vittori. Then he beat an overmatched Edmund Shabazian. Then he lost to Sean Strickland, and that shouldn't have been split. Strickland clearly won that fight. Then he beats Chris Curtis, mostly by circling and jabbing. And then he fights Roman Delidze and has a good first round. But in the second round, he gets caught in a calf slicer. Delidze gets on gets like back mount, holding the calf slicer, and pounds him out from there. So he's been real up and down, and he's had a real problem, like, meeting physical adversity head-on. And Joe Pfeiffer will bring the physical adversity. Joe Pfeiffer is physically very strong. He's clearly got power. Um, There's a few things, though, that are going to be question marks here. One, five rounds. I don't know if this will go five rounds, but we've never seen Pfeiffer do that. And we have seen Hermanson do it and look pretty good in the later rounds, uh, cardio-wise. Even if he's not doing much, he's been there and he's been he's been able to perform in the fifth round of a fight. Pfeiffer's not fought someone who's been very elusive, and Hermanson tends to be. Um, the smaller cage will favor Pfeiffer. Again, we're at the apex of 25, only 25 feet in diameter. The part of the question here becomes like, is the, the UFC likes Pfeiffer? Is this their attempt to kind of hot shot him up against a ranked opponent that they think is very beatable, or is this kind of okay? We've had our fun. You got your. You got your novelty. Novelty wins is very dismissive. That's not what I mean. You used up the three fights that they tend to give people that are favorable. Now, here you go. Let's see if there's anything actually here. And that's tough. I can see this going either way. 
Pfeiffer had some cardio issues with uh, Al-Hassan. He overcame them, but you could kind of see it. Hermanson's also crumbled under physical adversity before. The question is whether Pfeiffer can consistently get into position to deliver that. Because Hermanson does a lot of stuff. He's either way on the outside or tries to get inside, get you down, and then work from top position. Um, Hermanson's much more proven. What are the actual odds here? See if the UFC has the odds. Um, they might not this early. They're with Pfeiffer, minus 200, give or take. Let's see if that's kind of the assumption across the board. Yeah, that seems to be about the assumption. How old is it's middleweight, so age isn't quite the same thing that it is others. 35. That's not bad. He's not old. 31 fights is a fair amount, though. Mm. I kind of tend to lean towards more proven guys in general. Yeah, I think... Uh, I do not have a lot of confidence in this one. But I'm going to go with Hermanson here. Not by a lot, and I am not going to be shocked at all if Pfeiffer wins this. Um, but I do kind of think we might be dealing with a you know, step up to a level you were not quite aware of scenario here if this were also caveat if this were three round if this was your three round co-main event i would pick pifer the five rounds is kind of a is potentially a big deciding factor here for me in that respect three rounds i'd go pifer five rounds i think that tips me towards hermanson but uh i don't know <laughs> i don't know that's a tough I think this is probably a little closer than two to one in favor of Pfeiffer, but I imagine that line will tighten up a little bit before fight night. Not a whole lot. I, I think it's fine to favor Pfeiffer, but I think I don't think that will get wider, is my hunch. Um, co-main event, good fight here, actually. Dan Ige and Andre Feely. Um, up and down Feely. Coming off a win over Lucas Almeida. He looked pretty solid, but before that, he kind of got whooped on by Nathaniel Wood. I kind of thought Bill Algio beat him, being honest. Um, Ige, Ige's in a rough spot. Um, he's only two and four in his last six. Now, the losses, in fairness to him... Chan Sung Jung, before Jung made that one final run at the title where he lost, but made the run. Uh, again, that was 21. And he he technically outlanded Jung, but Jung just hit harder. Jo lost to Josh Emmett, who is still a top guy. Lost to Movsar Evloyev, top guy. Beat Damon Jackson, beat Nate Landwehr, lost to Bryce Mitchell. That was a bit more troubling, for being honest. 
Um, especially given some of Mitchell's now known deficiencies, but Feely's predominantly a striker. He'll wrestle if you know, the occasion is forced on him, but he prefers to strike. He's a long guy. Feely's, got, Feely's pretty lanky. He's got a 74-inch reach. So he's got three inches of reach on um, old Ige. 5'7 versus, what, 5'10? Yeah, so three inches, height and reach. He's got power. Ige's got power, too. It's not like he's some pillow-fisted guy. Ige's more technical. Ige's a bit more proven. When was the last time Feely won back-to-back fights? 2019. I don't don't think he's going to pull... I don't think he's going to get this one. Um, yeah, I'm going with Ige. Not by the... Again, this is a good fight. It's well-matched. And this is kind of going to tell us where either Ige's coming or going. Because he's taken some damage his last few fights. He's He's only 32, though. So that's still working in his favor, but... If he loses this one, that will be very telling. Be very telling. This is kind of par for the course if Feely loses, but this would be telling for Ige. All right, middleweights. We have Robert. I'm going to mispronounce this gentleman's last name. I apologize in advance. Um, Burchek. There's no way that's how that's pronounced. He's from... Um, he's Polish, right? Yes, sir. So that might be more of a CH. So, yeah, Brychek. I'm going to have to wait until I hear someone who knows how to pronounce that pronounce it. So my apologies. I'm, I'm sure I'm butchering your last name, sir. I'm, again, I'm not trying to. I will do better when the time comes. Um, making his UFC debut, 17-5 and five overall. Um, he's on a decent win streak. What, five? Yeah, you want to know in that streak? Doesn't look like it. Most of these wins are from Octagon, which is a fine promotion. Uh, the Polish MMA scene, pretty strong. Actually, pretty strong. Um, he is listed as fighting Albert Duraev. Did that fight fall through? I'm seeing different things depending on where I'm looking here is why I bring that up. Um, let me, what's the official UFC thing have? Yeah, they've still got Duraev. Um, I wonder why he's listed over here as fighting Ihor Potieria. I wonder what happened there. It's entirely possible the UFC's website has not been updated. Um... If this is Potieria, it would be Potieria cutting down to middleweight. I, I just kind of don't pick Potieria to win fights. So, okay, I'm gonna give myself an I'm gonna give myself a bit of an audible here. So bear with me. If this is against Iho Potieria, I'm going with Brychek. If this is against Duraev, I'm going against. I would pick. I'm picking Duraev. So I'm 
I'm going to leave myself that wiggle room there. So, um, if it is derive in particular, um, why is that listed there? Yeah, this is listed as derive withdrawing. So I'm, I'm going to stand by if this is in error, um, I will pick Duryev. Um, Duryev lost his UFC debut to John Young Park. I'm oh, sorry. Duryev is 2-2 two and two in the UFC. He beat Roman Kopulov, out-wrestled him, lost to Joaquin Buckley. Uh, his eye got... He, that was a pretty decent fight, and then Buckley hit him, and his eye swole up, and he couldn't fight him. Beat Chidi and Jaquani. I agreed with that decision. I um, Then lost to John Young Park. I would lean towards Duraev if that's the fight. If it's Potieria, especially on shorter notice, down at welterweight, I'll go with Brychek. And that's because I just I don't really pick Potieria to win fights. So, given my, I've made very clear <laughs> what the conditions are for that pick. If it's Potieria, it's Brychek. If it's Duraev, it's Duraev. Um, and... That's just, again, that's kind of where we're going to go with that. So, don't know enough about, uh, again, I, I don't pick Potieria. And then look, I'm sure that's going to bite me at some point. It did when I picked him against, uh, when I picked Shogun to beat him, but I just, I don't have a lot of interest or patience in that man as a fighter. <laughs> Middleweights, good fight here. Brad Tavares and Gregory Rodriguez. I have a lot of respect for Brad Tavares. He's 36. He's been with the UFC since 2010. It's a long career in the UFC. He's had 30, 28 total professional fights. Again, most of those in the UFC. He came into the UFC 5-0. Um, and 0. So his sixth professional fight was in the UFC. So 23 of his 28 fights in the UFC. That's a big deal. He's had ups and downs. He's coming off a win over Chris Weidman, who probably shouldn't be fighting anymore. Before that, he'd lost two in a row. Drakus Duplessis and then Bruno Silva. The only loss he's suffered recently that I don't think has aged very well is the Edmund Shabazian one. Other than that, his last handful of losses... So he's only lost to, he lost to Aaron Simpson in 2011 when Simpson was kind of in his prime. Y'all may not remember how good Aaron Simpson was on occasion, but I do. Had a good winning streak after that, then ran into Yoel Romero, lost. Lost to Tim Boach, beat Nate Marquardt, lost to Robert Whitaker. oh no, one of the best middleweights of ever, Bobby Knuckles. Won a bunch of fights in a row, then lost to Israel Adesanya. Then the Shabazian loss, and again, that's the one that he rebounded okay, couple of wins, lost to DDP, then lost to Bruno Silva, and Bruno Silva's no slouch. Then beat Chris Weidman. The question is like, again, how's he match up with uh, Rodriguez? Rodriguez, 31, but with the face of a 42-year-old. I, I love RoboCop. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> uh, I I thought I thought Rodriguez beat Armin Petrosian. Um, he got stopped by Bruno Ferreira. That was legit. But, you know, 
beat Dushko Todorovic, knocked out Jun Young Park, knocked out Julian Marquez, knocked out Chidi and Jakawani after he got his... Dude, that was a gnarly one when he got his, like, um, brow, like the space between his eyebrows split completely open. Knocked out Dennis Tallulah his last time out. I'm not trying to, you know, sleep on Brad Tavares. Brad Tavares, I just went over, man. He's good. He's underappreciated, but he's a pretty darn good fighter. I just don't know that I'd like him to beat Rodriguez here. Um, the miles might be catching up with Tavares a little bit. You spend that much time in the UFC, have that many fights in the UFC, it is going to catch you at some point. I'm going to go with Rodriguez, but that's a good fight. That's a that's a good fight. I'm not complaining about that one. Uh, let's see, lightweight, Michael Johnson and Darius Flowers. Michael Johnson. Michael, I'm not a gatekeeper. Johnson, currently 37. Michael, I eat feces whole. Sorry. I don't mean to insult him like that. He, I get what he was trying to say, but it came out wrong, and it's just kind of funny. Um, coming off that, dude, last year, man, Carlos Diego Fajaya knocked him out. That was bad. That was a bad knockout. He's not had a good run recently. Two and what? Ooh, six in his last eight. Had a four-fight losing streak. Beat Alon Patrick, lost to Jamie Malarkey, beat Mark Chikese, got iced by Fajera. Who is Mr. Flowers here? Johnson, I think we've seen his ceiling is kind of the problem. So Darius Flowers, 12-6-1. What, 0-2 in the UFC? 0-1. Lost to Jake Matthews. He's dropping down to lightweight. Um, previously he'd fought at, again, he'd been doing a lot more stuff at welterweight. Um, hmm. Dude, he fought Bobby Volker, 2018. <laughs> Sorry, that's just a name I that occasionally comes up. And a pretty lengthy amateur career too. Jeez. Um, boy, Flowers is not being done any favors. That guy gets into the UFC, immediately fights Jake Matthews. Matthews step in on short notice. And whatever. Then decides he's gonna fight at lightweight. Fair enough. If you, if your frame is not suited to welterweight, fine. You you got you get, that's a choice you got to make. Reality you got to live with. His fight with Otman Azaitar gets canceled, and Michael Johnson is again he's nobody's slouch. That's kind of a tough one. My, I'm my hunch is to lean Johnson here again he may not be in the best spot overall career wise but uh, let me put it this way I think if he loses this one this will be the last time I pick Michael Johnson to win a fight but I I think he's probably still got enough in the tank to give Darius Flowers problems and kicking off the main card, middleweights, Adolfo Vieira and Armin Petrosian. Very obvious clash of styles here. You got one of the best jiu-jitsu practitioners of his generation in Vieira and Armin Petrosian, who is not that, who's very much a striker. Vieira got by Cody Brundage last time, choked him out. Um, lost to Chris Curtis before that. 
beat Dustin Stoltz for us. He had that loss to Anthony Hernandez where he gassed out, and then Hernandez got him with the seated arm triangle. Petrosian, I've I've been a little up and down on. His only loss in the UFC is to Kyle Bahalia. I thought he lost to Gregory Rodriguez, for the record. I want to reiterate that. But the wins over A.J. Dobson and Christian Leroy Duncan have been clean. Both decisions, but they were clean. Not a lot of controversy around him winning those ones. This is going to be one of those that's hard to accurately predict because it's going dramatically one way or the other. Um, Because these two guys do not fight in each other's wheelhouse. Either Vieira is going to get this thing down and drown the inferior grappler, or Petrosian is going to keep this on the feet and bludgeon the inferior striker. Who's Petrosian train with? Weird that I'm going to this as a point, but hang on. Academy MMA? Okay. That's who he's listed as here. Uh, okay, this is a uh, this is one. It's out of Dagestan. It's out of Makashkala, Russia. But this is not the um, the not the Nurmagomedov family of not that camp. This is a different camp from that same area. Pretty good fighters come out of there. Um, Safarbek Safarov. What else I know? Again, Petrosian is I think the only one still in the UFC. Um, that's a tough one. Let me lean ever so slightly towards Vieira. Not by much. Um, and I'm not going to be shocked if he can't get Petrosian down. Um, Petrosian's pretty good about keeping distance, firing kicks. But... Vieira's done a lot of work to improve. Again, I'm going to lean towards Vieira. Not a lot, just a bit. That's your main card. Prelims, let's see, Trevin Giles and Carlos Prates. Giles in the UFC for a little bit. Um, he's 16-5 and five overall. He's been in the UFC since 2017. Um, notable wins. Welterweight's... Oh, yeah, he got starched by Drickus Duplessis. I remember that one. He went down to welterweight after that. Probably a better fit for him. Lost to Michael Morales. Couple of wins. Louis Cosi and Preston Parsons. Lost to Gabriel Bonfim. Hmm. This guy has been very up and down. Prates, by contrast, 17-6. and six. I think this is his debut. Yeah, coming off a contender series win. On a pretty good winning streak. Three, four, five, six. Hang on. One, two, three, four, five. Yeah, seven. Seven fight winning streak. Um, seems like he's had a problem with. Uh, <laughs> uh, I got a long standing joke about Brazilians struggling against Russian fighters because um, it amuses me. Beat Charles Oliveira, not to get into the UFC, but after Oliveira was out. It's a good win. 
I don't know, man. Giles has been so. I don't like trying to pick him, trying to pick his fights. He's very up and down in ways that just again make picks kind of annoying and difficult. The odds are with Prates. I'm going to go with Prates. Um, mostly because Giles has just not looked all that. Yeah, he's got some wins. I don't mean to imply that he's a bum. Because he's not. He's been with the UFC since 2017. You very rarely um, find you know, guys who've been in, with the UFC for what, six, coming up on seven years, and they're bad. Not impossible, but usually by the time you get to a seven-year stretch where they're not great, they're kind of just like, they kind of got tenure, and you can't really get rid of them. You know, Clay Guida has been bad for like a decade. But yeah, I'm, I'm going to lean towards Prates. Um, let's see, next up we have Demir Hadzovic, who I've got a soft spot for, and... Bolagioki. Um, Hansevich, I think he's... Did he lose to Moicano his last time out? No, Mark Jacquesi. Um I have a soft spot for Hadzovich because he l- dropped two rounds to Marcin Held and then kneed him in the head in seven seconds in the third to knock him out. It was great. But he's been kind of 50-50 in the UFC. Um, I think his UFC record is... What, four and five? Four and six. No, four and five. Um, coming off of Austin Jacquesi, yeah. He, this is kind of the spot he's going to find himself in, like welcoming debuting fighters that the UFC might kind of like. So um, Balaji Oki is from, he listed as from Belgium, calls himself the Zulu warrior. I wonder if his family, his family probably immigrated. Oki is just not a traditionally Belgian name. <laughs> Um, he fights out of Belgium. Yeah, he was born there. So my hunch is his parents immigrated. Because one of these pictures of him, he's repping um, a different flag. I can't quite make out what that one is. Might be Nigeria. Doesn't really matter. Um, he is, I'd say, eight and one. Eight fight winning streak. Coming off the contender series. Hadzovich will prove a stern test for him. I, I'm always a little leery of guys with less than 10 fights, but Oki also had a decent enough amateur career, I think. And yeah, Hadzovich, again, my soft spot for him notwithstanding, I'm, I'm not going to discount his chances here at all. But this does feel a little bit like, okay, the UFC, Oki being one of these guys that the UFC is going to give slightly favorable matchmaking to. So going to go with Oki. Uh, let's see. After that, we have Luma, Lukbunmi, and Bruna Brazil. Uh, Lukbunmi um, won her last couple of fights. Her only UFC losses are Angela Hill. That was actually a heck of a fight. And then Lu, uh, Lupi Godinez won her last two again. She tapped out Elise Reed her last uh, her last time out. Good. T- if if the UFC had a, an atom weight division. This woman would be cleaning up, I think. I think I 
I think she'd be doing very well there. She's smaller for um, straw weight. Um, Brazil, I've been less impressed with. Um, she is nine three and one, one and one in the UFC. Lost to Denise Gomes. She was supposed to win that fight, I believe. Um, and then beat Shauna Bannon. My feeling here is look bone me. Um, I, again, I'm I'm not trying to dismiss Bruna Brazil, but I've seen more out of look bone me than I have out of her. So let's go there. Um, two E's at the end of that. Sorry, I I I'm keeping track of my picks. I want to make sure my spelling is correct. Light heavyweight, Devin Clark and Marcin Procneo. Yeah, Clark's had a rough go of it. He got by Da Un Jung and then kind of got big brothered by Kennedy's Chukwu. It's up by Azamat Mirzakhanov as well. Eh. I don't know. Clark's one of those weird guys. Like, There's some skill, but you know, everything seems to short circuit. Um, Procneo lost to Vitor Petrino his last time out. He beat William Knight, lost to Felipe Lins. Um, he's bounced around. Is he moving up to light heavyweight here? No, he's normally a light heavyweight. Yeah, this guy walked into Sam Alvey and got stopped by him, and I, I tend to think poorly of people who do that. Um, these are two guys who... I don't think this is loser leaves town, but it kind of could be. Like, these guys are just kind of furniture in the division. Um, the odds like Clark. Procneo's got okay power, but he's struggled occasionally with wrestlers. And that's kind of all Clark does. So, yeah, all right. Let's go, Clark. I'm not very much looking forward to that one. Welterweight, Max Griffin and Jeremiah Wells. Um, Griffin, he's 38, jeez. Um, he has a decent enough win uh, streak going. He's not streak, but he's, what, 4-2 and two in his last six? Dropped a split decision to Neil Magny. Coming off a loss to Michael Morales. Um, got some decent wins. That Tim Means win was a little dicey. I don't remember how I scored it, but I remember that one being close. Um, Wells, 37. Jeez, old guys for the division. Wells had a pretty good run going. Um, wins over Worley Alves, Mike Mathetha, Court McGee, and Matthew Semmelsberger. Then um, he was beating Carlston Harris before he got caught in that Anaconda choke. I remember that. He was winning that fight. And then third round... Gets a little sloppy and gets his and gets caught. Um, yeah, my hunch here. I'm pretty sure my hunch is Wells. Um, man, he. I was, again. I almost kind of feel bad for him. He was doing pretty well against Harris, and then gotta respect those long-armed guys when you're. Uh, they can get around your neck from that front headlock position very, very quickly. But. Yeah, going with Wells here. Um, 
Let's see. What do we got after that? We have light heavyweights. Oy. Zach Paunga and Bogdan Guskov. Can we just cut both of these guys? <laughs> Sorry, I shouldn't. Um, Paunga is 6-2. and two. Yeesh. Never like guys getting, again, getting into the UFC that early. 1-2 and two in the UFC. He has... He got in... Oh, it looks like he got in via... Um, the Ultimate Fighter. He lost to Muhammad Usman, beat Jordan Wright, lost to Modestus Bukowskis. Um, Guskov is... Is he Uzbek? Yeah, that's Uzbek. 14-3. and three. He had a rough UFC debut against Vulcan Uzdemir. He had a... There was some hype around him coming into that. I'm not, I don't know, man. I'm just not the biggest believer in Ponga at this point. I think this is Guskov. I'm going Guskov. The odds are actually with Ponga, but... If I, if this one doesn't go his way, like Guskov might... His UFC debut was not... Volkan Uzdemir's good, so that's not really the kind of like fraud check fight. Ponga might be. And then kicking everything off, we have flyweights, um, Daniel Marcos and Orichi Long. Um, let's see, Orichi Long. Um, been a bit up and down in the UFC. He's three and three. Um, lost his first two, one two. Lost Damon Zahabi. Beat Johnny Munoz his last time out. Marcos, I seem to recall, looked pretty good. He's 15 and 0. He's from Peru. Wait, is this flyweight or welterweight? Sorry, I might have misspoke. Flyweight, bantamweight. Orichi Long used to fight at flyweight. That's why I got confused. Um, but he moved up. Yeah, Marcos coming off that win over Davy Grant. That was a pretty good fight. Um, he stopped Simon Oliveira before that. Which is not nothing. I actually think Oliveira is pretty good. Had several fights fall out as Marcos. Um, lost fights from Daniel Santos, Victor Hugo, Carlos Vera. Um, long and the short of that is I'm going with Marcos. Um, but you know what? If you if you wanted a hot opener kind of thing for the like the curtain jerker, there's a that's not an unreasonable fight to put in that position. Okay, that yeah, those are my picks. They're locked in. There's only the one that's um, somewhat dependent on whether or not that fight is listed appropriately or not. And we'll see if I can maintain my status as better than a coin flip. So Saturday, MMAZona411mania.com. Stop by, say hello. I always appreciate it. All right. Let's have a look here, because I talked about that earlier. So let's talk a little bit about um, the rest of the world of combat sports very briefly. So the heavyweight unification fight between Tyson Fury and Alexander Usyk is postponed. Was supposed to be a little bit later this month. Fury got cut in sparring. You can see the photo of it. They have to postpone it. Unfortunate. Um, my friend Mark Radlich got very pissy about this and said, take the belt from him and put it up for grabs between two other people. And yeah, yeah, yeah. Look, he got cut in sparring. It happens. 
It sucks, but it happens. They've rebooked it, currently set for May 18th, and apparently there's now a fine in place. If either of them pulls out, I'm assuming for a non-legitimate reason, but if there's if something happens and that they have to pay $10 million, like there's a fine in place, they've both agreed to it. I imagine the fight's still going to happen. Don't get bent out of shape over this, people. Um, so there's that. That's still again set to take place May 18th in Riyadh because sweet, sweet Saudi blood money. Um, okay. We had a bit of drama in the MMA side of things. Dustin Poirier earlier last week came out and said that his fight with Benoit Saint-Denis was never actually agreed to. And consequently, it's which is supposed to take place at UFC 299. And, you know, wasn't agreed to, and, you know, uh, UFC announced it. And Benoit Saint-Denis' trainer seemed to kind of support some of that, and then the UFC got pissy and said, absolutely not, it's always been on, we've got paperwork, and Poirier came out a little bit later and said, minor miscommunication with my manager, fight's on, all good, see you and him at UFC 299. If you can read the tea leaves, read between the lines a little bit here, that fight wasn't signed. They had not officially signed bout agreements. The UFC promoted it anyway. And Dustin Poirier said, I'll sign, but, you know, pay me. <laughs> so there's a decent chance he got some he got something extra for not making the UFC look like idiots. And the UFC's credibility when it comes to fight announcements, has been shot to hell over the last couple of years. Hey, remember last, I think it was last year, when they swore up and down that Paulo Costa and Robert Whitaker was on that Australia card, and Paulo Costa, the whole time, publicly saying, I never signed a bout agreement for this. I have never signed for this fight. They're lying to you. And then the UFC get closer and closer and closer, and he's not signed. They come out and say, yeah, Paulo Costa pulled out of the fight. Guys, he didn't pull out. He never agreed to it. So their credibility is getting shot, which is fine by me. I, I, I do not care. But it, it does get a, make it difficult to get excited for fights because I like that fight. I like Poirier and Benoit Saint-Denis. Glad it's still on, or officially, or is now officially on. It's a great fight. So bring the violence. But amusing, um, just a little bit amusing. All right, uh, that is, I think that's everything I've written down. So allow me to check Twitter and see if anything crazy is broken. If not, we will do plugs and then get out of here. Nope, nothing, nothing new in the MMA space, at least. So plugs. Um, last week, myself and Mark Radulich got together. I believe we did our Oscar trio last week. Yeah. Last Monday, we did a triple feature of Past Lives, Maestro, and The Holdovers. All three nominated for Best Picture, so go give that a listen if you're so inclined. This week, Daniel Hollywood will be on Tuesday, 9 p.m. Eastern, and we will be talking Argyle, which seems to have opened like a damp squib. Um, unfortunate, but... I haven't seen the movie yet, so I will have no opinion until after I see it. But tune in for that on Tuesday. My usual spate of professional wrestling will be up, my coverage. Um, 
MLW had an event this last uh, Saturday, so good for them. Uh, that usually means they tape some stuff for television, so whether that's uh, whatever moniker that's under, if they provide a screener for that, I will have that out whenever the is scheduled for whenever the event will actually be dropping. WWE SmackDown on Friday, and then UFC on ESPN Plus 94 on Saturday. And then next week, back here, we will be reviewing that card, and we will preview UFC 298, the arguably proper start to 2024 for the UFC with one of, I would argue, the best fight you can make in the sport right now as your main event, Alexander Volkanovsky trying to buck the line of death. He is 35 now, and as you may know, no one, there have only been one fighter who from welterweight on down on the men's side of things that has won a UFC title fight over the age of 35. Tyron Woodley did it twice. So if, technically, if we go to lightweight and below, no one's ever done it. Volkanovski, age of 35, trying to buck that trend. Ilya Teporia is a very, very steep mountain to climb. Um, full preview next week. Looking forward to that one. Also on that card, Robert Whitaker, Paulo Costa, Marab really and Anthony Hernandez. Meh. Uh, Anthony Hernandez and Romain Kopilov. I'm kind of interested in that. So, again, full preview next week. Come on back. Hope to see you then. All right, that's it for me. I'm out. Thank you all very, very much. Appreciate you. Stay safe out there and continue to be well, be safe, and behave.